0: Hey friends, welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. And uh, I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you for downloading. If you haven't left us a review in Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app of choice, please go and do that. Would really appreciate it. It helps other people find the show. Um, and if you ever have questions or want to chat with me, you can always hit me up on social media, or just go to halfwaytherepodcast.com and send me uh, an email. Just hit that contact button. I'd love to talk with you. Today we have a really wonderful guest. I can't wait to share this conversation with you. Um, Our guest is the executive pastor at a church called Jacob's Well in Kansas City, and uh, he's also the founder of Story Enneagram, whose message is, you are not your Enneagram type. That's interesting. Uh, cause sometimes we apply Enneagram a little differently than that. So, um, you know, they like to say where you're, you know, story Enneagram is where you learning your type is just the beginning of a whole new story. So I'm excited to hear more about that. Our guest is Jim gum. Jim, welcome to halfway there.
1: Hey, it's good to be here.
0: Thank you. I am glad to have you here, and I I just want to say at the beginning, um, I don't know if he listens or not, but my cousin Aaron Long goes to Jacobs Well. That's how we got connected, and so thank you to Aaron.
1: Hmm.
0: Uh, Thanks, Aaron. Yeah. There we go. Uh, so yeah. we'll just uh, we'll see if he listens, and uh, I won't tell him that we did that. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> So, Jim, you're, you're the executive pastor there at Jacob's Well. I find Jacob's Well is a really interesting church. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do and where you are now? And then uh, from there, we'll go back.
1: Yeah, Jacob's Well uh, is a church that is coming on its 20th year. And uh, it was founded in the midtown area of Kansas City when there weren't a lot of churches that were being founded at that time. And uh, our founding pastor, Tim Keel, just had a vision for a different type of church, a church where we could uh, explore, I I think, an authentic uh, biblical community and a community where we could uh, use the arts in a creative way. Uh, Like we have a recording studio in our church and we have a lot of local artists that uh, help with, with the worship experience. And, um, it's just, it's been a very fascinating place for me to work the past seven years and I've really enjoyed it.
0: Oh yeah. Very cool. And, uh, you're also, as, as the Enneagram kind of tells us, like you're, you're a spiritual formation guy. How does the, how do the arts kind of form us and how do you guys find that working out at Jacob's well?
1: Well, I I think for us, you know, we, we take seriously visual arts Mm. and uh, what they say about our relationship with God. And, and there, you know, there's multiple pathways to grow in our spiritual life. And, uh, you know, the Enneagram would teach we're a three centered being, we have a thinking center, we have a feeling center, we have a body center. And uh, often, you know, uh, church worship is expressed in terms of maybe biblical teaching and then the only arts that was accepted was uh maybe choral music but not as much visual arts and stuff maybe in the modern expression and so i think it's the idea of using the whole self and bringing the whole Mm. self and uh experiencing god through those avenues
0: yeah i love that okay so we're we'll get into some things. I'm sure those topics will come up as we go. Well, let's let's dig into your story just a little bit. So, yeah. um I actually don't know where you grew up. Where where are you from?
1: Well, I I grew up uh in Kansas City. Uh, moved here a few months before I started kindergarten and have basically been in Kansas City for most of the past 50 years except for a time in college in Texas. And then a cool. brief sojourn, uh, in Colorado Springs, but I'm a Kansas city. Uh, I consider myself more of a Kansas city native.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Kansas city is a cool town. Um, I love it. It's, it's really cool. So we were just talking about, uh, you know, being in town for, for Aaron's wedding and, uh, we got to kind of explore Kansas city. I'd never really been there. It was, it was pretty cool. It was a lot of fun, a lot of good, a lot of really interesting places and yeah, interesting architecture and, um, but kind of a Midwest industrial feel. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool.
1: Yeah, so that's my background. I grew up, uh, you know, in terms of my faith journey, I grew up outside the church, and I like to tell people that I only attended a church service three times before I um, became a Christian in 1977 through the Ministry of Young Life. So I was the classic uh, disinterested target kid of young life. And I, I knew nothing about uh, faith. We we uh, cleaned the garage and made pancakes on Sunday. Oh, well. So I was just, I don't, and the, the beautiful thing about it is I had no baggage. Uh, most of my friends hated church and I didn't. I was just curious about it. Um. So that was kind of my, my introduction to faith, I did have a, a real spiritual sense and a longing and uh, was kind of drawn to coming to Young Life. I had some very mm-hmm. enthusiastic friends who wanted me to go. And I, quite frankly, did not want to go because a year before I had been to a, um, an evangelistic outreach meeting of a different ministry – and I, I think it was Bring Your Unsaved Friends Night, and uh, <laughs> so I came to this Bring Your Unsaved Friends Night, and they had, uh, you know, what I know now is an altar call. I can, I can remember everything that happened. I can remember the verses, even though I did not really know the Bible. I remember the verses that were being shared, and I think he, I think the young man, took me through the Roman road. Of uh you know, wages of sin. Mm. We have all sinned, and and then he, we got to the end of it, and uh, he said to me, "Well, uh, n- do you understand everything so far?" And it was kind of like I, I think so. You know, I literally had no context, uh, no no idea of the relationship between God the Son and God the Father. Jesus holding, you know, nothing, zero. Yeah. And so he goes, "Do you understand this?" I go, "I, you know, I'm tracking okay, and I'm about ninth grade." And he said, well, let's pray to accept Christ. And I literally do not know what to do. I'm there with my friend. I have never prayed aloud in my life. And I kind of say, look, I'm not a a religious person. I, you know, I don't don't know how to do this. And he goes, well, you know, just put it in your own words. And we're we're kneeling down next to his bed in this back bedroom, which seems creepy now. But (laughs) um, we were there. And I don't know what to do or pray. And then I end up, you know, um, when I find myself in times of trouble, I mean, I'm kind of riffing off just some lines from Let It Be yeah. <laughs> uh, by the Beatles. I really don't know what to pray. And then he tells me at the end of that, well, he goes, now you're a Christian and tell three people that you're a Christian. And, you know, it's like, tell them what? I mean, I, I really, my head is spinning and uh, so I often tell people that was the time I didn't become a Christian. Uh, <laughs> That's that experience. Oh, it was fascinating. And so a year later, when my friends were inviting me to go to young life, I said, "I know what that is. They will invite you into a back room and ask you to pray out loud, and I you know, I'm not going to do that. Oh, wow. And uh, eventually, I relented, and you know, young life was so slow and gentle, and you know just wherever you were it 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 was just the right thing at that right time for me the yeah. beautiful part of my journey
0: well that's interesting you said that you were sort of drawn to, to spiritual things or draw or curious about the church like what was it that made you curious
1: you know i i just think you know that that augustine quote you know our hearts are restless until mm-hmm. we find our rest in thee i i think In late grade school, in junior high, there was something in me yearning for something deep. And um, I was trying to find it. And, you know, there's a little bit of the U2, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Yeah. But I just had a a spiritual awareness and depth, you know, without much uh, context. Or or you could say it in terms of, um, you know, natural revelation. I, I. I kind of got the spiritual nature to life, um, but I did not have the uh, the special revelation or organized or in, in any way like that, that that made any sense to me.
0: Yeah, interesting. Okay, so did you eventually? You sounds like you eventually went to Young Life, but so did you? You consider that your conversion experience, riffing off the Beatles? Yeah. Or is it, okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, it was during a a, a Young Life trip in the spring of 77 and i think it was the overwhelming uh sense of the love of god for me and the overwhelming sense of um love of brother and sister it it was it was a dramatic you know emotional you know heart-based experience for me yeah i think i was about 16 at the time and what was interesting you know if you think about what happened to me and how i was drawn in I, uh, had started, I'd hurt my back really bad, uh, in ninth grade and, uh, or at the end of eighth grade and the summer after eighth grade, I, I had a body cast that oh, wow. went from my chest to my knees and I wore it for two months and, um, they don't do that anymore, but it was, it was an, you know, it's a time in life when you're really, uh, Hanging out with your peers and having fun, and I was in a body cast that summer, and um, really felt like I got out of sync with my friends, and wasn't able to play sports anymore, and I was I kind of had experienced some loss, yeah. and eventually had surgery, and and it was probably a year period of 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 kind of disappointment, and that was a setup in a sense for me, uh, in terms of kind of that, uh, asking questions, spiritual awakening, all that happened. And during that period of time when I basically had no friends, uh, cause I was in a body cast or just <laughs> hanging out recovering, I started playing the guitar and, uh, that sophomore year when I went to young life, um, they had guitar players up front and they were high school kids. I thought, well, that'd be a cool thing to do. And it was almost as if my conversion experience and my opportunity to do something with my life, uh, as an, I became, I was on this trip where I met the Lord and I was the only one who played guitar well enough to lead music. And, uh, I think from that point on, I was a guitar player, for worship or Young Life Clubs weekly for, I, uh, you know, that might've gone on for 20 years in my life. Wow. And, you know, if you think about that, uh, what happened in that process for me, I had to come up, I had to always come to meetings an hour early to practice. I always was praying with the leaders for the meeting. And so I wove into leadership almost as quickly as I had become a Christian. Uh, it was kind of a fascinating little tie-in. You know, yeah. I, had, I had a job to do um, almost immediately.
0: Yeah, you can kind of see how God was calling you into that.
1: Yeah. And so I was always around Christian leadership, and I, did, I led Young Life uh, as a volunteer through college and then, I was a high school chemistry teacher, did Young Life while I taught in the high school where I taught it for about, uh, you know, that whole process was about 10 years. So I, I did not start out in ministry. I started out teaching science and being a volunteer leader.
0: Yeah, that's cool. That's that's yeah. probably an interesting connection because um, we we tend to think of science and faith as being opposites, don't we?
1: Well, I think some people do. Um,
0: <laughs> That's great, but I don't
1: think I don't think they originally <laughs> did. You know, uh, totally in the Middle Ages, I think they saw the glory of God in the order, Amen. of creation.
0: I love that. Uh, yeah. What? Uh, so the other thing I wanted to mention is you're you're reminding me a little bit of Ignatius here, kind of having your questions, uh, you know, kind of rise to the surface while you're in a body cast and just sitting there with, without much else to do.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, I, you know, there is a sense of, um, I don't know the full Ignatius story, but I do think that that period of time, it unlinked me from my peers, uh, socially. And, um, you know, they were all smoking dope by the time I got out of my calf and stuff. And, and I remember trying that and thinking, this isn't it. I don't like this either. And um uh, it was a lonely period. Um but I, you know, I I think music was was really instrumental at that time in terms of just finding my own voice and um yeah. You said like it, what I was good at?
0: You said it was kind of a dramatic and emotional experience. Like take us into that. What was that like? In terms of uh meeting the Lord? Yeah.
1: You know, I I had gone to the beach. We went to the beach for a week, and we we drove a school bus from Kansas City down to Corpus Christi. And we're staying at a Presbyterian retreat center all week. And it was pretty informal. And I think for me, it was a, just a time that I'd been sitting in a Young Life Club for a year and hearing... Week after week of messages, and what's great about Young Life, you get like one little topic at a time. You know, like God loves you. Um, we all have a need for God. You know that the, the, the a Young Life Club talk is pretty basic, and that's kind of what I needed. And then I think what was instrumental was the the love of one another. And there was a there was a John Fisher song. Uh, That was really popular kind of back in the seventies and they sound really seventies, but it was, have you seen Jesus, my Lord? And uh, there was a line that, um, you know, have you seen him on the cross? Have you seen him in the ocean? Have you seen him in the creation? Uh, And have you seen the face of Christ on your brother? And I think it was actually the community experience Mm. combined with the theological experience that was the overwhelming, uh, experience of it. Um, so, you know, and there was a time in my life I kept wanting to get back to that feeling of that time on that night, you know, April 10th, 1977, and you never can go quite back there, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But, uh. It was dramatic at that time, and there's a certain part of me that uh, I think the way I am wired is I, I've i had these interactions or episodes with the Lord that um, have been transformative, and, and that was a key one.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So you you can look back and see that you have... Just a, a bunch of moments, like your times, yeah. times when God's really changed you.
1: Well, and I, I think of another one, and this does segue into why the Enneagram is important to me. And uh, it was 1991, and I'd been on Young Life staff for about um, a year. And I remember at that time, uh, we, it was December and we went up to this Catholic retreat center about two hours from Kansas City, and we were uh, going to do a silent retreat as in no you know, no talking. Yeah. And uh, we were taught kind of some basics about centering prayer, but I don't remember that being used. But we were supposed to try to spend about four hours a day in prayer. And then every day for about an hour, uh, we would meet with Brennan Manning, who would act like a spiritual director. Wow and we just talk about our life it was, a, it was a profound experience just six of us
0: yeah that's and, not uh, you that's you can't just drop that name jim and and that, that's <laughs> awesome so you see so we were directed by brendan it. that's I fantastic stumbled upon
1: it. and what happened in my life that that first um fall i was on young life staff i uh was really overwhelmed and i was overwhelmed with the job i was overwhelmed with um the feeling of, I don't know how I'm going to raise this budget. I had been married about six or seven years and had a young child and was feeling inadequate in most areas of my life. And I remember my wife, you know, we just knew something was going on in my journey. And, and one day I was like, I think I am depressed. I think this is called depression, and i I really had no um, context of that in my whole life, and it kind of surprised me and I think you know the juxtaposition of leading in life, which seems like a party all the time, and you know you start every year talking about you know that God invites you to this abundant life, and I wasn't experiencing that at that time in my life. Um, that was really hard. And, um, you know, I was, uh, really trying to prove myself and, uh, was working a lot. And, uh, I remember my wife asked me this question. Uh, she said, when I would come home from work and I'd say, Hey, I, I just need to make a couple more phone calls. There's always somebody to talk to or something that needed to happen. And then I'd be gone, you know, three to four nights a week. And work most of the day, and my wife asked me. She goes, "So when when are you not working?" And um, that's a hard question to be asked. Yeah. But but what's worse is is really not having the answer for that question. And so the setup of me going on this silent retreat was burnout, uh, kind of spiritual emptiness and void. And one of the days I was in my time with Brennan, I was just saying, look, there's something going on in me that uh, is compulsive. And I know it's not helping me, but however, I can't seem to be able to stop this behavior. That was kind of the setup of it. And it was on December 10, 91, he says, well, you need to learn about the enneagram. And I wrote it down in my notes, and this was the first time I'd ever heard that word. And he said, you ought to look at these couple types, and here's a book to look at. And went home from there and immediately kind of went on this Enneagram journey that's gone on for 27 years since then. But the thing that I remember learning at that time that was the profound spiritual moment was Brandon Manning was all about the relentless love of God. You know, that relentless, unconditional love of God. That you cannot be separated from that. That is what he thinks about you. And uh, I remember just feeling burdened in my job, feeling pretty mediocre about it, feeling under a lot of stress, feeling that it all came down to me. And I remember coming up on the landing at this retreat center and then having the realization that... That God would love me even if I never led a young life club or led a Bible study or led a kid to Christ or whatever achievement thing I could tie in with a successful young life ministry. That I was really free to, you know, just be loved by God. And it was kind of a what I would say is the beginning of an unlinking Yeah, between my who God is and how he loves me and my, what I do for God, um, my performance. And it was just the start, but that is my Enneagram types journey. I'm a type three and, um, the three, uh, makes the mistake that what they do is who they are. And, um, the three strategy to do that is to just work harder than anybody else and shut down my emotional life uh, because it gets in the way. And that is a recipe for depression and anxiety and lack of intimacy in relationships and on and on. So that was a critical time you know, for me at that juncture.
0: Yeah, I bet. Well, wow, that's such a beautiful story about how you realized God's love for you. That's, that's pretty incredible.
1: Yeah. And like, what does it mean to be loved by God unconditionally? Like, mm-hmm. un, you know, I could give a sermon on that. I could give a message that we're saved by grace. Oh, I yeah. personally did not live that in a existential way. I was performing for God.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause you were performing for everybody, right? Cause everybody. It, Cause that was your, that was your job. That was, that's yeah. what you thought you was expected of you.
1: Yeah, and, and the, it's and it's subconscious. You know, the enneagrams say those forces work on you subconsciously, but man, they were ingrained. And so, I was working to please kids. I was working to please other leaders. I was working to please adults and donors who were giving money to show that I was worthy of their support. You know, and uh, that was a real critical point in my life.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I I just that whole that moment, you know, that is really what I think this show is all about. Um mm-hmm. you know, realizing that God loves us and that we don't actually have to be there or get to a place, you know, that we're that we're trying yeah. to get to, we're we're actually loved by him already.
1: We and, are. And and you know, if you can take that into the deepest part of your being, there is tremendous freedom in that, just tremendous oh, yeah. freedom. Uh, you know, all God wants me to do is show up every day and and be present and respond as He would want me to respond with what I have, not with what I don't have. <laughs> right. But what I have today.
0: So, how did that know? change how you interacted with Him?
1: Well, I you know I think it was that kicked open the door in terms of you know, maybe a more reflective, more emotional, uh, response, more honest, uh, also being able to, um, catch for me, what are the traps? You know, the trap for my type is to over-identify with what I do. And, um, you know, that's going to be the trap to the end of my life. You know, that's, that's kind of what your Enneagram type is about. It's, you have a, a thing that you do and it's uh an adaptive strategy. And, um, so, you know, what's the hope for all of us, the hope for all of us is to recognize when we fall into that trap and to catch it before it, it engulfs us, you know, whatever our, our trap may be. And so that, you know, I, I'm a slow, um, I think I've been on a slow growth period for 27 years with some episodes. Uh, But I would say just um, part of it, I would say is this, what i call a disidentification from type, you know, which is the ultimate journey with the Enneagram. You know, you're not your Enneagram type. So I am not just a doer. I'm just not an accomplisher. The truth is, I probably can get more done in less time than the average person, but that's not who I am. And so what's happened over this journey is um, my pace is much less than it used to be. And what I have to fight is a false voice that comes in that says you're lazy when you take time off. You're lazy when you rest. And uh that's the you know when you try to undo your type, like I'm productive and accomplished, and I've achieved a lot uh and you stop doing that you you have an identity crisis
0: <laughs> yeah um, so so then that takes you into the sort of identity part of the spiritual journey, right the yeah, introspective part, yeah, yeah, what was totally. that, what was that like for you
1: well, um I, that's what I, I think that's the, the unconscious forces that, that operate in our life, um, are the ones that, um, kind of drive us uh, the passions that drive us, um, in my case, to be seen, uh, to be seen as competent or accomplished or successful and playing to that, um, you know, I have to let go of that force in my life and then i also have to live with what i would call the discomfort of slowing down my pace while feeling like oh yes i'm still okay and god still loves me and that's my work now your work may be different and everybody has their form of some work but that's been my work um you know, so my wife on the Enneagram is a peacemaker, uh, type nine. And if I was to talk about what our journey was as a couple, you know, when she first read our two types, she said, we are doomed. This (laughs) This is a terrible match. I have married the wrong person. And I would have described, you know, our early married life as picnics and projects you know she wanted to relax be in nature enjoy being together and i wanted to uh strip wallpaper uh paint a room refinish a floor build a piece of furniture and um you know that it it just really showed up and you know that the ultimate thing you know 30 years ago Uh, before I knew about my Enneagram type or my compulsion, I built a log house. Oh, wow. And I was was thinking I was going to build a log house during my summer vacation from teaching. And of course, you can't do that. (laughs) But I had no lack of confidence in it. It, it, Literally, I worked every day, every night, every weekend for about nine months. And it, it really about did me in. But, you know that's you know but I don't look like that anymore 30 years later I I can still get things done but I have a lot I have a lot more balance in my life I'm able to relax I'm able to build in what I would call um, a rule of life spiritual practices that keep me centered and keep keep me from my passion running away with my life yeah basically
0: yeah so do you have have you ever had a time? you know, since you came to Christ, that was, um, yeah, I guess you described you're kind of depressed and burnt out. Was that, was that like a dark night of the soul for you or like that sort of wall? Oh experience, yeah. Or yeah.
1: Oh yeah. I would, I would go so far to say that, um, that time that I had the retreat with Brendan Manning, I was just about at the lowest period I'd ever been. I experienced insomnia, uh, which I had never done before. And, You know, you have so many – when you're up for an hour, two hours in the middle of the night, and you can't go back to sleep, and it is crazy-making. And, um, you know, I I hate to say it, but at that time, I could understand what suicidal ideation was. I never got into the planning phase. Yeah. But I did get in the early phase where you go – boy it would be better if i wasn't having to deal with this or i wasn't in this situation and you just kind of have this longing to escape but feel trapped i understand that and it's it's incredibly frightening and i used to be a pretty you know joyful positive optimistic person so it it blindsided me and i often tell people you know i i think going into ministry at age 29 and really being ill equipped personally to do it I had my midlife crisis at 30 and um that journey went on I would say for the next 15 years in terms of just trying to make sense of my own story in my life uh, my family of origin situation uh, yeah. what were the forces that were at work in me
0: Well so you said for 15 years well how did that resolve itself if if it did or like how did how did you Or maybe a better question is like, how did you, you know, come to terms with that with the Lord?
1: Yeah, I, (laughs) I, I feel like I'm just a person who's been in the game and I, I think it was, it was in the period of time, I think from 2006 to 2009, um, where, um, the differences in how I am and how my wife is wired and really our inability to connect on a significant emotional level. Now, by then we had four boys and we had very full lives. And um, there was a time, you know, 12 years ago where we've been married about 22 years and my wife, this would be another like come to Jesus moment. That yeah. like She basically said, hey, I think I've taken responsibility for all I can take responsibility for. And um, I think that there's some work that you need to do. And um, if you can't do that work, I don't think we can have a marriage. So that." Wow. Yeah. That's a wake up call. That's yeah. like, okay, this is, this is it. You know, oh my gosh, I, this, I'm the way I'm living my life is not working, you know? And, um, so I'm telling you, it's been a slow journey. Yeah. And I, I took time off, uh, immediately and, you know, went through all of the, uh, phases in terms of, uh, thinking, you know, being mad at my wife for making my life difficult, Uh, be be wanting to just run away from everything. Like that's going to be a solution. Uh, But that, you know, that thought goes to your mind. And then a little bit of like, you've messed up your whole life. What have you done?
0: You're an idiot. Yeah.
1: And then, then the fourth option is just, well, I could try to do some work and maybe um, tell myself the truth. And there's this Jungian quote that I really like that, that was very instrumental at the time. Carl Jung said, it's a horrible shock to become acquainted with oneself. <laughs> it's a horrible shock. And I I think that's what I experienced that time was a horrible shock. Oh, wow. Uh, went to a spiritual director uh, for about 10 days and just, you know, every day was sitting with myself with, this very kind director and was at this point in my life where I didn't like myself and it's really hard when you don't like yourself because you can't get away from yourself. You know, you're just with yourself all the time. Right. And um it was kind of this unmasking of of vanity, uh unmasking of how much I um have Paid attention to how I'm seen by others versus, you know, just being an authentic person. And uh, really had a, a profound, another seminal, profound experience in my life that um, was like a visitation from Jesus. I, I don't know how else to say it, but that's what happened during this time. And uh, it's kind of that healing of, of, uh, of knowing that you're the beloved. Uh, for me, it's the it's the verse in when Jesus is baptized and he comes up out of the water and the voice from the heavens said, "Behold, this is my beloved with whom I'm well pleased." And the context of that for me as my type is, okay, this is about um, the beginning of Jesus' ministry before he'd done anything before the miracles before the followers before the right before everything and that perspective for me is the message i need behold this is my beloved with whom i'm well pleased that is the starting point for my spiritual foundation
0: and um how how did that because you said that was like a like a visitation from jesus like is that (laughs) i mean tell me about that because that's you know well
1: um i was in a pretty you know desperate place and um i had a great leader and and i've been told that um this woman was trained in all sorts of things but uh theophostic was the name oh, yeah. of this you know bringing god's light into this situation Really what happened was this. I I was naming all the things I was afraid of the day before. I'm afraid about this. I'm afraid, you know, my family will fall apart. I'm afraid I will fail in my job. I'm afraid I will. I I had 10 or 12 fears that were pretty uh, paralyzing at the time. And the next day when I came back, the director named Nancy kind of I took every one of my fears and then placed them in the context of four others at the end of the fear. And there was this theme that it was as if I lived my life as a performance, which is Mm -hmm. my type again.
0: Yeah.
1: And all my fears were basically about how this is going to come across. So the crazy thing was that that morning i had this funny recollection this memory and it was when i was a a young child and i'd had a baby blanket and my baby blanket was uh i called it my me my me where's my me this was my me
0: yeah
1: and i kind of held it with me all the time i don't have it anymore because like any kid who had a baby blanket that they dragged around it was probably a filthy rag but it was i remembered (laughs) that morning it was my me and i had just gone through this period uh, talking with this director she had shown that all my fears were basically about performance and being seen by others and it was kind of it was really embarrassing i'll just put it that way like i should know better like by now i've been at this thing for you know almost 30 years of trying to live a spiritual life and i
0: yeah you know
1: wasn't doing very well so she goes well what do you want to do and i said well we'll just take some time to pray and so we were praying and um you know i was confessing this and then i had this image of jesus sitting right next to me and he had in his hands my baby blanket. And as he took this blanket, he was just very, very gently just folding it over and over into this little tiny square. And then he he took it and he just placed it into my heart. He you much know, pressed it in. And that was it. That was this... Um, kind of a strange you know mystical like what just happened i think the best description of those experiences are that they're like conversions yeah it's it's like a conversion experience and it's you know i i don't talk about it very long often but when i do it i still feel it and you can hear it yeah in my voice but
0: yeah, well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, obviously, it was an intimate moment with Jesus. It was. I love was. that he does those things, like that. Just I think, is so beautiful. Yeah. Um. I mean, and he told you what you needed to know, right? He did. Yeah.
1: He did, and and uh, so that's. I would say that episode that's now coming up on. A little bit over twelve years ago, really was the beginning of healing of my heart, mm. healing of my marriage, healing of my relationship with my kids and friends, and partly just integrating me back as a human being,
0: you know yeah
1: um, so that's that you know i I really can look at my life as kind of these episodic, profound. Um, encounters. I think encounters are the right word. Yeah. For all those things that I, I had an encounter with Jesus, and uh, there, I'm a heart type, and um, that's what I know from the Enneagram too. A three is a heart type. Yeah. And I'm very emotional, and um, my strategy is to shut down the emotions to get crap done. And oh, interesting. I need to lean into. My heart, and uh, that's where life is, and that's what I can give to others as a minister or to my family, oh, all love. heart-based.
0: That is so beautiful. Okay, it tells us a lot about you. I appreciate yeah. that. Um So I do want to talk a little bit about what you're doing with Story Enneagram. Yeah. And uh so that's... um very interesting. So you you kind of went over it a little bit. You're not your enneagram type. So your yeah. your your idea is you have to, you know, you this tells you about yourself, but then you're more than that.
1: Yeah. So I have had a passion for the enneagram since I first learned it. Uh, the enneagram lived in um, kind of more progressive, you know, non-Christian communities. Uh, human potential movement in the West coast, Catholic communities, but not so much in conservative Christian circles and uh, I usually was the one person who told people about the Enneagram for many years and um, so I wanted to be better at teaching it and when uh, I was in my thirties, I had neither time nor money to pursue it and so, in the last five years in the community where I've been, i've I've pursued certification. I've pursued uh, training and kind of education. and I've also done probably thirty workshops and on the Enneagram. And I was a science teacher, and I taught chemistry and if if you were at a cocktail party or and you said to someone, "Oh, you used to teach, what'd you teach?" Chemistry. I hated chemistry. ninety ninety eight percent hated it.
0: Count me in. Okay,
1: I'm yeah, I'm in the ninety eight percent. It <Yeah>. was hard. <laughs> and I um, love to make abstract things accessible. That's I love teaching chemistry. I love making it relevant and interesting. And my whole work with Young Life was taking the gospel. And making it accessible and relevant to adolescents who were not interested in spiritual things. That was my whole journey there. And so, what I realized as I've taught the Enneagram, that the Enneagram is simple. There's only nine types, but it is very nuanced and very, um, there's just a lot to it. And so, what I've worked on. Really, the whole journey is like, how do you explain the Enneagram in a way that people can grasp that doesn't overwhelm them and that can make a difference? So my, if you heard my story, my whole journey personally is about personal transformation. That's kind of what I'm into. I'm into how can I you know, transform my life and better reflect God's love for me to others? How can I change and what I believed is that the Enneagram is a perfect pathway designed for nine distinct ways for people to grow and change spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, the whole thing. And it's, it's part of it. It's an unmasking. So um, what I usually tell people where I start, and I use a lighthouse in my logo, is the picture of Imagine a lighthouse on a shore and imagine a beam of light coming from this lighthouse circling at 360 degrees. And if uh, that light was able to go in a 360-degree fashion, you could see everything. But the Enneagram teaches that we have a light and a beacon, but it stops. It, it, it fixates on one little slice of reality and there are two things that happen when our light stops moving the first thing is that we still think we see everything but the truth is that there's these shadowy areas of our own life and others uh, that we either cannot see or we're unwilling to look at and the second one is that we believe that everyone else looks at uh, the world the same way we do. Oh, totally. And that, and that is not true. And so the, the, that's
0: a shocker the, right there. When you learn yeah, that one. Oh Let me figure gosh. out what well, do you mean? And
1: so, <laughs> and so what happens is we have predictable conflicts with anyone that we look at life differently about. Yeah. And so the, the goal of my work is it's really, it's a tool of self-awareness that I, that my beam of light, I could through, um, you know, working on it, learning about it, my beam of light could widen. That would be the first goal. And the second goal, that I would have compassion and understanding for others that look at life differently than me. In other words, I don't think they're just stupid or wrong, but I understand why that's important. And what I really see is that every type has these incredible strengths, but they're also carrying an incredible burden, of, um, you know, kind of the weight of their type and it, it weighs them down. Yeah. And so um, I'm really about compassionate understanding. I'm really about, hey, you got to learn all nine types. You got, you do, it's not just about learning your type, it's about learning all nine because those people are in your family, they're your mm. partner, they're your, your co worker, they're, um, they're in your community. And uh, you know, without understanding or without awareness, you're going to suffer. Yeah, <laughs> or you will cause suffering.
0: <sighs> right, and that does happen.
1: So that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to uh, create products that are accessible. So I, I love to present a complex topic in a in a bite-sized fashion. Yeah, that won't lose anybody that's what it meant to teach chemistry or or speak the gospel to adolescents. Oh, that makes Secondly, sense. Secondly, it's it's comprehensive that it it's it can go as deep as you want to go with it. And I'll give you models for what the path of growth is. And then thirdly that it's transformative like finding out that you're a certain type and you have a pattern like you know, I find out I'm a type 7 and I don't like to have fun. That is scratching the barest surface of what the Enneagram is about. And so um, my hope is that it provides a lifelong pathway and tool for transformation, both of your own life and your relationships with uh, those that you love and care about. So I've got three um, products that I'm planning to uh, launch in January. One of them is just a mini course that's free that kind of does some basic uh, concepts of the Enneagram, uh, features a little bit of the video that I have. Um, These are video streaming courses and they're set up for either individual study, but ideally for small groups so that you could stream uh, the video that features both my teaching and panel videos. And uh, teach concepts and ideas, and you get to hear, you know, when you learn about uh, type six, you'll get to hear from three people who are type six talking for 20 minutes about their experience. Well, that that's worth more than any book. Uh, they're the experts on type six. I'm really not. And so it's it's pretty engaging, and it's all in bite-sized chunks. So I have a I have a four Uh, session course that probably is um, three 45-minute lessons with 45-minute discussion questions. So it's kind of a month long. You could do it weekly and just an overview of the Enneagram. features about five minutes of panel videos per type. Then I have a 10-week, more robust course that uh, not only talks about each of the types, but each type in depth, 20 minutes of panel videos per type. And then also what I call kind of some bonus material. So how to really use the arrows, what the wings are really about. Mm, Looking at at concepts like type bias, which is what does it mean when we like certain types and we don't like other types? And what does that mean (laughs) about us? What what are self-referencing types and other referencing types? What's the role of the instincts? What are subtypes about? Uh, that uh, gets explained in this 10 week uh, course. And it's also set up like 45 minutes of video, 45 minutes of discussion. And it's really set up so that when you have, if you were to have uh, like a small group in your home and you have, let's say, 10 to 12, 14 people that are around there, if you're doing type four that night and somebody in your group goes, Oh, I'm a type four they need to hold court in the discussion. They need to be the star. They need to talk about their experience and people need to ask them questions so they can deeply understand that type. And, or what happens also is people go, Oh my, my brother was a four. This is my experience of them. And, uh, there's no shortage of discussion material. Once you've watched the lesson, Yeah, you know, somebody and, um, so I've been what I've been doing is I've been teaching the Enneagram for many years and I realized what not to do. So one of the main things I learned not to do is you have to build the concept slowly. But most Enneagram teachers will start with, let's say, type nine. They go, this is type nine, it's a peacemaker. And when they're healthy, they go this way to this number. And when they're unhealthy, they go to this way to that number, but you don't really know those other numbers yet. And so you can get people lost on the Enneagram so quickly. Uh, And the other thing is a lot of times you'll hear a presentation about the Enneagram and you'll try to do the whole thing in an hour. And we do not have the capacity to keep track of nine things in an hour. (laughs) Yeah. And so it just all, by the time you hit the fifth one, you're kind of tired and it's blurring. And so both of these are set up where you're only doing, uh in the short course you're doing a center at a time and it's all based around centers the, the three heart type centers trying to understand the themes of those type the three head type centers the three body type centers and then the big course really takes the time and really goes in depth with each type and that kind of goes underneath the hood and the motivation and then there's some really surprising things about the types so type 5 the thinker of the observer is paradoxically the most sensitive of all the types however they appear to most people as kind of almost stoic and emotionless but that's not the truth about what they're really like so that's another thing that I really like to bring in and really call people to really their truest self that they could be free to live that out
0: yeah which is fascinating it uh- is Great. Well, that goes definitely with your, your mantra um, yeah. of where learning your type is just the beginning of a whole new story.
1: It's just the beginning. And, and what happens, um, you know, a lot of people that I'm really grateful for how the Enneagram kind of hit a tipping point the last couple of years. Yeah. And, um, I don't have to be the one to introduce it to people, which is great. Uh, however, I think it's a little thin sliced. Uh, It's, it's, it's uh, in the caricaturization a little bit, or it's, um, it's kind of missing the essential thing, or it also, it can be abused and you can just put people in boxes. So, you know, you can say, oh, okay, you're one. You just always have to be right. And, that you know, without understanding what's going on with the one that's a real painful message to them, because ones have a real strong inner critic, and they're the most self critical and if you if you see them as like they're always correcting you, you're missing like the burden that they have where they're really fighting this inner demon of this inner critic that um, always points out the mistakes that they're making, and that's really hard to live with, yeah. So my hope is to uh, take advantage of the popularity of the Enneagram, but really call people to go much deeper with it for their own sake, and especially um, to have compassion on other people and really grow in their love and appreciation for them and heal relationships. Uh, I'm convinced in my own family, my wife's a nine, I'm a three, we have four boys, one's a four, one's a five, one's a six, and one's an eight. And there were some... Pretty classic, you know, Enneagram conflicts in there that have been healed by understanding and appreciation.
0: I love that. Okay. Well, friends, if that sounds appealing to you, something you'd like to check out, absolutely. um, Head over to halfwaytherepodcast.com where we've got links to – uh, Jim's, Jim's websites, or just go straight to story dot You can find everything there. there is courses and, uh, everything that he just mentioned to take you deeper with Enneagram. Uh, Jim, do you, anything else you want to leave us with, as we wrap up here,
1: you know, it's been a delight to speak with the Eric and I kind of was, it was fun for me to remember, um, remember some of my own stories that were really seminal. So I appreciate the opportunity.
0: That's awesome. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. And uh, friends, once again, halfwaytherepodcast.com. Uh, you'll find links to everything we talked about. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jim.
1: Mm-hmm.